0: are glad he does all things for our good? That's not always an easy uh, concept to wrap our minds around, is it? Especially when we're going through difficult times. Matter of fact, take your Bible, turn over to the book of James chapter 1, and we're going to know to people who were going through a difficult time and could have easily said, what in the world are you doing? And yet we're going to see that God has a purpose and a plan for things. We don't always understand what that purpose and plan is at the time except for the fact that we we should, as believers, understand what the ultimate goal is. See, this is something that sometimes, if we're not careful, because we don't know the specifics, we sometimes lose faith in the end of it. But God has a, a purpose in everything he does. He doesn't always tell us he's going to give us every piece of that. He doesn't say, I'm going to help you understand why this specific thing's happening at this very moment. But what he does do is help us to understand what the ultimate goal is, and we trust him with the details along the way. And uh, we see that somewhat here in James chapter one. Notice what the Bible says here as we begin um, in verse one again, uh, James chapter one. We're going to look at verse one, and then we're going to read through verse four, okay? So, And the Bible says, James, a servant of God, of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into divers temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Now, That passage, obviously, is pointing to a group of people, saints, if you will, that are experiencing tremendous persecution. Um, It's not a very pleasant thought, persecution. That's not something that we relish. It's not something that we probably hope for. But it's something in this particular case that's transpiring and taking place. And still James, in spite of it all, encourages them to embrace this persecution and to even appreciate the persecution. And I mean, our response is probably, well, why? I mean, that's ridiculous. I mean, persecution, are you kidding me? I mean, you want me to embrace it? You want me to even appreciate it? Well, why? Well, he says, because the struggle is molding and making you everything God would have you to be. I know that doesn't sound very comforting in the midst of persecution at times, but if we lose sight of the end game, we will lose sight of God in the midst of it. Right, right, right. Amen. And sadly enough, as believers, we are quick to lose sight of our God in the midst of circumstances because we lose sight of the end game. Now, let me say that the end game in this particular case is that these persecutions, these problems you face, believer, are going to help you to reach your God-given potential. That's exactly what he's saying. And I wonder today, are you reaching your God-given potential? Am I reaching my God-given potential? Michelangelo attempted to carve 44 statues during his lifetime, but he finished only 14 of them. Although we are familiar with some of his work, such as the statue of David, you may have seen that. I literally saw that in the Louvre. I in the military was able to travel there, is really not a big deal to me, but they say it's pretty important. I'm not a real artist, I guess. He looks like he's not quite all there. But anyway, apparently it's a masterpiece, right? But the 30 that he didn't finish are also rather intriguing when you think about it. One of them's a huge chunk of marble from which he sculpted only an elbow. Another shows a leg, a thigh, a knee, foot, and toes, but the rest of the body's kind of locked inside that marble. You know, many of us are kind of like those unfinished statues. We never really release the talents and the abilities that are locked away within us. I mean, what God intended to shine and to show forth is something that sometimes will remain hidden the rest of our days and the rest of our years because we fail to reach our full potential for Jesus Christ. See, God's called us to a higher plane than we can even imagine. He wants so much more for us than... We can wrap our minds around for the most part. Until we unlock the end game, until we realize that that's exactly what God intends for us and that everything that comes our way, whether it's pleasant or whether it's not, is always to enable us to reach our full potential for Him. So, how does reaching our potential begin? It begins with salvation being saved. Let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll start and we'll continue with that. I have three other points other than that, but I think it's important that we don't neglect the most important step. That's what I was writing on the stage frantically, is that portion of the message. Because as I looked over the crowd, I got thinking for a moment, We can talk about reaching our full potential all day, but if we're lost, we'll just perish in a place called hell. It all begins with salvation. Father, we come to you. We ask for your leadership. We pray that you would just guide and direct. I especially ask that you would speak to me through me and allow me to be your mouthpiece today. May you just bless these, thy people, and Father, those that are yet without the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, may they settle that before it's eternally too late. Again, we know that without you we can do nothing, so Lord, we commit this service into your hands. We ask you to do a mighty work in each of our lives. We desperately need you today. Speak to us through your spirit and through the word of God. We'll give to you the glory in Christ's name, amen. So it begins by being saved. Turn, if you would, to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. Probably a somewhat familiar passage if you've been in Sunday school for years, but if you haven't, you may really have never even heard this passage. You may have heard a phrase or something years ago. I mean, back in the 70s, there was a song that uh, utilized this as a title, and it was a big time song, and it talked about a relationship between a guy and a girl, but In reality, this passage and what God intended was that it's a relationship between us and him. Notice what it says here in John chapter 3, verse 7. He says, marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. I don't know about you, but that phrase in and of itself is rather intriguing, to be born again. We know we've been born once because we're here today. And, you know, the the writer, as he's speaking to uh, this particular person, Nicodemus, he's confronted with a question, a good question. He says, how can a man, in verse 4, be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? And you say, that's a stupid question. No, it isn't. That's a good question. Because he, just like the rest of us, if we didn't know the background, if we hadn't already read the Bible, if we hadn't been exposed to these truths already, would be very confounded by now, thinking to ourselves, what are you talking about? I've been born once, am I supposed to crawl back up and be born again? Good question, Nicodemus. And the answer, of course, is a resounding no, not that. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about there's a physical birth and there's a spiritual birth. Can I tell you, if you're going to ever reach your God-given potential, you have to be born again. You can't just be born in the flesh. You've got to be born in the Spirit. If you want everything God has for you, then you need to be saved. You say, well, why would I need to be saved? Well, because when you get saved, you're a new creature. That doesn't sound very appealing, does it? Some of you ladies think you're born to uh, living with creatures right now, especially the big one, the guy you married, and then there's a bunch of little ones maybe running around. But he says here that we're new creatures. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Again, reaching our full potential demands, it requires, it's essential that we are born again, that we're spiritually born because we become new creatures. And if we're going to reach our God-given potential, then we have to be a new creature. 2 Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. If any man be in Christ, if any woman be in Christ, the Bible's very clear here that they are a new creature. They've been changed. They've been transformed. They're new completely. It's not even the same thing. You're not even anything like you were or who you were. You may feel the same. You may look the same, but you're not the same. It's amazing how the devil convinces us that there's no change. There's no difference since we've been saved. We're still just like we were. We feel like we used to feel. We think like we used to think. We do like we used to do. And he says, see, there's no difference. Can I tell you, it doesn't matter what you feel. It doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter how you are responding. The fact is is that you're a new creature in Christ Jesus, and that's a reality. It is a biblical reality. It's a God-given reality. It's a scriptural reality. You aren't who you used to be. You're new, and you're Totally different you say well my family doesn't think I'm different but you are I don't even think I'm different but you are because God says so now I just want to understand I do to kind of get a feel for this and and I want you to think about this too you don't feel any different but God says you are so my question is this who's right I mean, is God right or are you right? Yeah, but you don't, I don't I'm, not, I'm not asking you how you feel today and I'm not asking you whether you believe that you've seen the changes you expected or that others see it in you. I'm not asking you that at this point. I am asking you this, who's right, God or you? Come on. Amen. That's the question, isn't it? Yes, and yet the Bible says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. I don't know about you, but that seems to settle it. Now the devil's going to try to trip you up and he's going to say, see, you got saved last week. You got saved last month. You got saved 10 years ago. And look at your life. It's not really that much different. But can I tell you, you aren't even close to what you were because God doesn't see you like I see you and God doesn't see you like your wife sees you. God sees you the way he intended to see you and how you really are, a new creature in Christ Jesus. The problem is we don't let that new creature out. We hold him in. Because, see, not only are we a new creature, we have the new man. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. You know, I can only imagine Gideon when God shows up and God says to him, hey, thou mighty man of valor. And he says, huh? Hey, thou mighty man of valor. Huh? are you talking to God I'm talking to you Gideon I'm talking to you big boy me a mighty man of valor question was God right or was Gideon's feelings right question just asking Can I tell you that it doesn't matter how you feel about yourself, all that matters is how God feels. Because you are what God says you are, whether you believe it or not. Man, we are paying millions and millions and millions and billions of dollars trying to go to people that will convince us we have value today. (laughs) Trying to convince us that we have worth, that we're somebody. You don't know how I was raised I didn't have a mom or dad that encouraged me. I had somebody that put me down. They called me stupid all the time. Well, let me ask you, have you ever read the Bible? And have you ever decided to discare what God thinks? Because in the end, it doesn't matter in the long run what others think in the long run. Well, in the long run, it matters what God thinks. And can I tell you, you're somebody. God says so. You're a new creature in Christ. And you have the indwelling person of the Holy Spirit living in you. You have Jesus in you man you've got it going i know those things hurt and i can i i understand that 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 we would love everyone to love us but can i tell you friend in the long run we better get a handle on this reality they all won't but god does and he told us we're a new creature my friend a new creature do you believe that today Young people, do you realize I don't care how you've been raised. I don't care what you've gone through in your life. I don't care whether you've been abused or not. It doesn't matter, my friend. All that matters is God says you're a new creature. You're somebody today. Man, you better hold on to God because he says when my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will lift me up. You're a new creature. You got the new man. Look at this. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. Or uh, excuse me, 1 Corinthians 6.19, I just uh, threw a a boomerang at you. Speaking of that, let me uh, pull out one of my, this is reminding me of something that we talked about this morning. Yeah, I'm finding it. I'm finding it. Oh, I couldn't quite remember how to throw a boomerang, but eventually it came back to me. Yeah. You, you, you like that? Well, I'm center stage now. <laughs> Woo! Finally, somebody likes them. You know that the prisoner's favorite punctuation mark is the period. It marks the end of his sentence. <laughs> yeah, it's good. You've got that right? The questions asked is an old rope good enough for hanging? Afraid not. That stuff is bad news. (laughs) All right, now that we got that out of our system, First Corinthians chapter six verse nineteen: We're a new creature. Notice this though: We have a new man. I love this. He says what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you? what you have of God, and you're not your own? You've been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. But notice, know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you? I mean, do you understand what the implication is here, what the truth is? That literally within you, this body, this tabernacle, this house... God himself abides there. That's that amazing. Is that not amazing? Think about that for a minute. God lives inside you. Not only are you a new creature, but you have the indwelling person of the, Holy, of, of, of the Lord Jesus Christ and the person of the Holy Spirit. I don't know about you, but that's amazing. A new man. Now we talk about that change that transpires and takes place in our lives once we trust and receive Jesus. The fact is is that it's a matter of whether or not we allow the new man to have preeminence in our life versus the old man. Whether or not we allow the fact that we are new creatures and that Jesus literally lives in us, do we give him preeminence, do we place him on the throne of our life, or do we choose to let the old man rule and reign? Do we allow ourselves to remain seated there, or do we let Jesus have control? That's the difference. I'm no different. I feel the same. Maybe it's because you've not ever allowed that new man in you to have the reins, to take control, to put his hands on the steering wheel. Oh my, as a believer, you are a new creature. I don't care what anybody says. It doesn't matter how anybody feels about it. God says you're something. And Not only that, but you have a new man in you. You have a new man and you have literally Christ in you. Oh wow, that's amazing really. And as a result of that, we're talking about reaching our full potential. Can you imagine trying to reach your full potential for God and not truly being a new creature and not having the new man? The impossible, right? But hold on. We're never alone now because of it. Look at Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, the Bible says, let your conversation be without covetousness. Now, again, that word conversation somewhat has a dual meaning in the way it's written here in the passage. It's talking about not only our conversation as far as our words, but our lifestyle, our living. He says, let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. Now, I don't know about you, but being content with such things as we have seems to be very difficult in America. Because let's face it, we are... Uh, Just like even Brother Kavanaugh was praying this morning, we've been so blessed. We have so much prosperity. There's so many blessings that have been bestowed upon us as a nation. God has supernaturally blessed America because at one point we were reaching the world with the gospel. And I believe that's why he blessed us. But notice he says, that we're to be content with such things as ye have. Well, what do I have that would make me so content? Glad you asked. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. It goes back to that new man. Man, when you become a new creature, you have the new man, and you're never alone because he's with you always. He's not just seated on a throne in heaven. He's seated on the throne of your life. He literally lives in you. And you're taking a walk in a park all alone. And you're feeling the weight of the world on your shoulders. You've got to take the time to remember He's with you. Oh, it's easy to forget that it's easy to feel all alone. It's easy to feel isolated and separated from those you love even and from the world in which you live. You feel, I mean, you may be around a thousand people, but you still feel lonely. My friend, I want you to know as a believer, it's all different now. He's with you always. But I just don't feel. Stop feeling and start living by faith. Reckon it to be so because it is. Again, who are you going to believe, God or you? I don't know about you, and you may be extremely trustworthy, and you may be honest up to here, but I think we'd all admit that God's more honest, and what he says probably is more true than what we would. Exactly. (laughs) That reminds me. That's the statement. We were getting our pictures taken with all the kids one year. That's it. And all the kids were sitting there. And they were really little at the time. They weren't very big at all. And this guy, he was extremely eccentric. He was. He was very eccentric. But we went to Olin Mills to get a family photo. Because you know how it was. You could get the 10 by 13 free. You know what I'm talking about. And then they try to sell you all the others. We were very disciplined because we had nothing to buy anything with. So we would go and get the picture taken, and we'd go back and get our 10 by 13. They'd say, you have to sit down a moment, and we're going to show you all the wonderful pictures. And we go, they're so wonderful. Oh, that's so cute. Would you like to buy an No, thank you. <laughs> but this guy was eccentric. And here he is. He's standing back there with the kids. He was so good at his job, though. And I mean, the kids are sitting there, and he's putting them all in place. And he gets back, and he stands behind the camera like this. I mean, literally like this. And he's like,
1: uh-oh
0: Uh uh-oh, uh-oh, and the kids start dying laughing. (laughs) And me, I'm like wishing I had a permit to carry at that point. (laughs) I was getting a little nervous. It's like, whoa, dude, dude's off his rocker, like we used to say in in baseball, just like Betty Crocker. I mean, he was really rocking it out, but whoo, and the kids were rolling. So anyway, that just made me think of that. Thank you for the distraction. (laughs) <laughs> we are never alone oh isn't that a blessing Amen. okay so if we're going to ever reach our full potential for Christ it begins with salvation I wonder have you been saved and you say what do you mean I mean have you personally acknowledged the fact that you're a sinner and that Jesus Christ died on a cross 2,000 years ago do you do you, do you do you acknowledge that do you recognize that as being true Do you realize who Jesus was? He was God, right? He's God in flesh. The Bible says literally that he became flesh and dwelt among us. God himself, who created the world and the universe, saw the need to literally provide a perfect sacrifice, and he knew that no man could do that, so he himself came in our place and paid our sin himself by dying on the cross. You say, but that was Jesus, not God. Well, 1 John 5, 7 tells us that these three are one, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit, and these three are one. Listen, I don't have it all figured out. The Bible calls it a mystery, but it's a reality. I don't have to always understand everything that God says because God is God, and he's kind of like his ways or his thoughts are. you know, we learned that in chapter 55 of Isaiah. So, I accept there's some things I won't fully understand. But what I know, I said, he loved me so. And he took my place on Calvary and he paid for my sin. And he says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you'll acknowledge what I did for you on your behalf, if you will accept the fact that only I can pay for your sin and you'll trust me to do it, I will do it. And I'll include you in my family and I'll give you a home in heaven one day too. Man, have you ever put your faith in Christ? Have you ever said, Lord, you're right, I'm wrong. I'm the sinner, you're perfect. You died for me and took my place, and I want you to pay for my sin today. Please forgive me. Please come into my life. Please, Lord, save my soul. Boy, I tell you what, if you'll do that, he'll do it. He'll save you. But as many as received him, to them gave you power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God, though hath not life. The wrath of God abideth on him. Can I tell you that you need to make a decision for Christ because it's in your future's best interest. It truly is. So first of all, reaching our full potential for God, we have to be saved. That's the first thing we need to settle. We need to be saved. So let's get into the three things that I'd originally wrote. And I'm just going to touch on the first one. and Maybe I'll finish them out tonight. First of all, if we're going to reach our full potential, it begins then with being saved, of course, but then continues with realizing your need for growth. You have to realize a need for growth. It's really important that you do that. Turn to 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. Notice what it says here. We'll get to it in just a moment. It's toward the end of the Bible, of course. I'm having a hard time finding it myself. All these jokes running through my mind from class. <laughs> Not really. But anyway, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. Notice what it says. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Notice he says, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Peter, the writer at this point, is making it very clear that the responsibility of every believer is to grow, that God intends for all of us to grow. That's a given. I guess, again, it could come down to this. I mean... Is God right or am I right again? I mean, do I feel like I need to grow any more than I have? I mean, I've been in church for 30 years. I mean, I've listened to any message. Every time the preacher gets up there, I've heard that before. Well, wait a second. So that part of the Bible doesn't apply to you, growing, because you've already accomplished all that. So I assume then that you've also accomplished the part where it says that you've been perfected, because that's what it says growth ultimately leads to is perfection. So my question is, is God right or are you and I right when we decide that, well, we've grown enough, we're good for the time being? I think we'd all agree again that God's still always right. And he says to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know about you, but Jesus is pretty complicated. You know what I mean? There's a lot going on with Jesus, you know? Now, like if I come down here and talk to the teenagers for a few minutes and I'd say, all right, can you tell me something about the guy or gal right next to you? You'd say, well, I I know they're on my bus route. I know their name. I know what grade they're in. What's their favorite color? I don't know that much because I haven't talked to them that much. You'd know something about them, but you wouldn't know everything about them. Can I tell you this? You probably never will ever know everything about anybody, even your wife or your husband. You'll never know everything. You just won't. You know what the Bible's telling us? It's telling us there's never a time in your Christian life or in mine when you stop trying to get to know more about Jesus. That's how simple it is. It's not complicated here. You say, well, I'm learning how to deal with my marriage. You better start learning more about Christ. Because in learning more about Him, you'll learn more about how to deal with your marriage. You know what happens? We read a lot of books about how to this and how to that and how to this and how to that. But we neglect learning about the very one who's going to unravel the problems. I don't know about you, but I I can't stand dealing with um, long extension cords. They seem to get all knotted up and tied up. I hate trying to unravel all those. My mom used to do that yarn stuff, and I kind of got into it for a while. I was kind of very domesticated when I was younger. And I was trying to make a hat, but I could never get it to stop going this way and this way. I couldn't get it to tie up, so I gave up. I was good at that, you know, whatever that stitch was. And then I'd go back over and I'd start connecting it to that stitch, and then to that one. And he kept going. I was like, man, this is never going to look like a shirt. It's never going to look like a hat. I was like, what's the point? But you ever take that yarn when it's been sitting in the corner or one of the kids got a hold of it and then you got to try to unravel it? Wow. That's how our lives get. And we somehow think that we're going to read a book. From somebody that's gonna tell us how to fix all of our problems. We do. We, we think if I just read this blog, if I just read this article, if I just read this book, then I will figure out how to unravel the mysteries of the universe. Now, do you know how you unravel those? Learning about Him, Jesus Christ. You learn more about Jesus, and I promise you, you'll figure out more about how to treat your husband, your wife, your children. You'll learn more about how to live in the world in which you are now surrounded. I'm telling you that the key is Christ. It's never the things. It's Him. It's a person. We spend too much time trying to learn how to instead of who. Jesus. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, You have to realize you have a need for growth if you're going to ever reach your full potential for Christ. It's obvious that growth is commanded. We see that. But it does seem to me, and maybe you might even agree, it does seem like it's a a very neglected area in Christianity. I mean, we, we attend church. We try and live life, a good life even. We even serve in some capacity. However, growth really doesn't rate very high On our priority list, many times. See, Peter's concerned for his brothers and sisters in Christ. And he's growing more concerned than ever because Peter understands that there are false teachers that are attacking the brethren, that are always on attack, they're always on offense. And he's saying, listen, you got to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. you got to grow in him. It's knowing him. That's how you'll be able to identify the falsehoods. It's not knowing every detail of the Bible that will make the difference. It's knowing the author. He's the one you need to know. He'll make it clear to you when you're being subverted or you're being misdirected or misguided. He will do that if you'll make him your goal. See, the lack of spiritual and practical discernment and disregard for fundamental church doctrine that believers as a whole seem to demonstrate is a result of a lack of maturity. When we aren't mature in Christ, we are often misguided and misled. We make bad decisions. We go the wrong direction. We think wrong. We respond wrong. We act wrong. Why? Because we do not have the truth ingrained in us. Hebrews 5.13, turn there, would you? This is very, very important. I think it's important because this concept and thought which we're going to note here in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 13, I believe again, is somewhat misunderstood and overlooked. Watch what happens here. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness. For he is a babe. Everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. Now, we're going to lay some groundwork and then we're going to come full circle and we're going to understand what I'm talking about here in a moment. Again, the writer of Hebrews points out that a believer must continue to grow or they will remain babies. See, it's unbelievable to think that you birth a child and then you, you, if it never grows, it'll never graduate high school. It just won't, right? If it never grows, it'll never walk. If it never grows, it'll never talk. But in Christianity, we don't look at things that way. We, we look at it like time determines our growth. I've been saved for five years. I go to church all the time. So what steps have you taken to grow? What conscious decisions have you made to mature in understanding of him? Because, see, we look at it like I started here five years ago, and now here I am. But God says if you still don't know any more than you did virtually, if you aren't really more grounded in the fundamental doctrines of the faith, my friend, you are still back here and you are still going,
1: wee, wee, wee.
0: You're still a babe. That's what he says. That's not Pastor Don being mean to you especially on pointing out what the Bible teaches because truthfully, that's where I am in my life if I fail to grow. The writer again points out that a believer must continue to grow or they'll remain baby spiritually and that is reflected in their inability to properly interpret the Bible and apply God's word. You say, you don't have a right to judge me. I don't have to. I don't even have to consider. I just look and observe what's going on. Babies cry and whine. Babies make messes and can't clean them up. Babies can't feed themselves. They always need somebody spoon-feeding them. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just telling you, biblically, the question is, are we reaching our full potential? Are we even realizing there's a need for growth in our life? Why is there so much chaos and confusion in my life? I'm not saying there's problems. There won't be problems. I'm saying, why is there so much confusion? Why is there not some direction? Although there's problems, there's direction in my life. Why not? Could it be that we're not as mature as we believe ourselves to be because time itself is not an indicator of spiritual maturity? The word he uses here, everyone that useth milk. And and milk is like very, very basic stuff. It's you gotta be, you need a bottle for milk. Right? You know what he says? We're unskillful. He says, those those that are in that position, that, for everyone, everyone, it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter what you are, everyone. That useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness? We would agree that this would be the word of righteousness. How many of you would like to go into surgery having an unskillful surgeon performing the operation? Not me. Okay, let me let me ask you this. Who here would continue to take their car to an unskillful mechanic? Nobody, unless it's your (laughs) brother-in-law. You don't want to hurt his feelings. But you better have a lot of money because someone else is going to have to fix it when he's done fixing it. How many of you would say, you know what, I'm going to to build a, a new house. I'm going to build a new garage, and I'm going to hire an unskillful carpenter to build it. Nobody's going to do that. I mean, we all want skillful doctors and mechanics and carpenters. So why would the believer be willing to continue in the Christian life unskillfully? I mean, where's the disconnect? You get what I'm saying? There's a disconnect here. Oh, I'm good to go, preacher. Hey, listen, we're getting together to have a Bible study. Well, I'm good to go. I got it, man. Me and God, like that. I got to do that because my fingers are so full of arthritis. You ever get those when your fingers don't move anymore? I'm getting there, guys. Some of you older people are going, you ain't seen nothing yet. I know, and I'm just relishing and loving the fact that I can at least put them there. (laughs) One day they won't even go. (laughs) Why is it, though, that we are quick to accept and settle for being unskillful as a believer in the Word of God? We wouldn't accept that from anybody else in this world especially if we're paying. But we give God what we would never accept. So we are admonished now to go on to perfection or full maturity. Hebrews chapter six, verse one. Notice what it says in Hebrews six, verse one. We're almost done. We're finishing up this first point. We're done, okay? I talked about salvation and the need for it. And now we're talking about this idea of recognizing or realizing our need for growth. We can never reach our full potential without doing so. Notice Hebrews 6.1. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. Basically, if I could just simplify it the best I can, I think what he, you know, the, my, the implication again and the idea is the thought... It's not enough to just simply know you're saved. There are other things you must ultimately identify as truth and put into practice in your life. Being saved is good, it's wonderful, and it's necessary. It's absolutely necessary if you're going to reach your full potential, but you don't stop there. You have to keep moving in a direction, and in this case... Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, moving forward in some of those fundamentals, those basics like that, we go on unto perfection. Again, if there is any doubt that every believer must continue to grow throughout their lives, I think we can put that to rest in Philippians chapter one, verse six, when the Bible tells us being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. If God recognizes the need for you to consistently and continually grow, he recognizes the need for you to consistently and constantly grow. He recognizes the need for me to consistently and constantly grow. Who's right? God or me now? God is. He says, you need to grow. If you want to reach your full potential for me, if you want to accomplish everything I, can, I want for you, if you want to experience the joy and the peace and the purpose that I truly intend, you got to recognize a need for growth in your life. You have to. When's the last time you thought about the idea that, you thought, Lord, am I where you want me to be in my Christian growth? I mean, do you even, have you ever thought about that? At this point in my growth or my Christian life, am I where I should be or am I still back here somewhere? I mean, have I really, have I progressed as you intended? And have I grown consistently the way you planned? Or have I hindered that growth somehow? See, I don't know about you, but reaching our full potential benefits us. Dion Primetime Sanders. You may have heard of him. Some of you older folks like me know who I'm talking about, but he was a tremendous athlete. He was the outfielder for the Atlanta Braves and cornerback for the Atlanta Falcons. He played both professional baseball and professional football simultaneously. He was always the only, he was, listen, he is the only athlete, at least to this point when he was around, I don't think this has ever happened yet, actually, when I think about it. He's the only athlete to have hit a major league home run and to have scored an NFL touchdown in the same week. Isn't that amazing? Sanders grew up in Fort Myers, Florida, and there he met a number of would-be athletes who motivated him to make a success of himself. You say, would-be's? Yeah. He explained, he said, I call them IDAs. He said, I call them IDAs. If I'd have done this, I'd be making $3 today. If I'd have done that, I'd have have been uh, somebody. If If I'd have practiced a little harder, I'd be a superstar. I'd have, if I'd have, if I'd have. He said they were as fast as me when we were kids. But instead of working for their dreams, they chose drugs and a life of street corners. See, Dion would ultimately dedicate himself to becoming the best athlete he possibly could become. He worked at it. Yeah. You know, we don't, we don't need to be looking back in our life and going, well, if I would have. if I'd have read the Bible more, if I'd have prayed more, if I'd have studied those scriptures, if I'd have went out soul winning, if I'd have taught Sunday school, if I'd have been involved in the work of God, if I'd have truly spent time in meditating on scripture and memorizing the word, if I'd have, if I'd have, if I'd have. have, And God wants you to reach your full potential for him. But you'll never reach your full potential unless you start growing. And that begins understanding a need for it. Today, we probably need to make a commitment and say, Lord, you know what? Preacher hasn't gotten to some of this, but the truth is, is I know I have a need to grow in Christ. I, I look back in my life and I feel like I'm doing pretty good. But really, when I think about it, it's not because I've taken steps to get where I am. Time is what separates me from where I began to where I am. But time is not the key. That's not growth. I want to encourage you to say, you know what? I'm going to take, I'm going to grow, God. I need to grow. And I'm going to commit right now to you to doing what I need to do. And if first thing I'm going to do is be here tonight and see what else we have to do to reach our full potential. Then if I got other questions, I'm going to ask because I want to put a plan in place that enables me to grow, to reach my full potential so that when I get to the end of my life, I don't say, well, if I would have. You'll be able to look back and say, I did. I did. Father, we come to you. We just thank you, Lord, for all you do for us and all you mean to us. And we ask, Lord, that you would just speak to our hearts again. Um, Lord, there's no doubt that right now, you know we weren't able to get through the whole message but lord i think we got through enough to understand our need to grow and the fact that maybe there's areas in our life we need to grow spiritually and lord we want to reach our full potential i'm convinced of that at least i believe that and i just pray lord that you would just help us it begins with salvation it continues with recognizing and realizing the need to grow father may you speak to hearts now and bring conviction in lives and Help us to make commitments today to grow. And Lord, if there be those in our midst that have yet to make the decision to receive Christ, that need to become that new creature, to have the indwelling presence of Christ in their life and never have to go through life alone again, I pray that they would see the need to make their way into an aisle to the front where they can reach out to somebody standing up there and somebody will take a a Bible and show them how they can know for sure heaven's their home. And they can know for sure they're a child of God that they're born again, and they can begin this journey to reach their full potential for you like never before. We'll thank you. We'll praise you. In Christ's name, amen. Let's all stand, every head bowed, every eye closed.